Hey folks, and welcome back to the Theopolis Podcast. I'm your host, Brian Motes, and I'm the content manager at Theopolis Institute. We at Theopolis train men and women to lead cultural renewal by renewing the church. Participants in our programs learn to read the Bible imaginatively, worship God faithfully, and engage the culture intelligently. For the next week or so, we're going to release talks from our recent Theopolitan Ministry Conference here in Birmingham, Alabama, and you can look for the entire conference to hit the Theopolis app very soon. Dr. Peter Lighthart asked if I would include my lecture on the podcast, so that's what we have for you here in this episode. This is a talk on singing our way into a loving life by singing God's Psalter. So this talk was titled Singing Into Love, and I really hope that you are helped and edified by it, and especially that you are encouraged to begin or continue the singing of the Psalms. We at Theopolis want to thank you so much for listening, and we hope that you enjoy this time of teaching. And here is my lecture on singing into love on the singing of the Psalms. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. My talk today is going to be about singing the loving character of our musical God and specifically how that's manifested to us in his book of love songs, the Psalter. But before I begin, I would like for us together to hear a few portions of scripture. John 17, the high priestly prayer. I do not ask for these only, but only for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one, I in them, and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. 1 John 4. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world, so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God's love abides in us. God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. 1 Corinthians 13. You weren't gonna get out of this conference without hearing a little bit of 1 Corinthians 13. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. Then finally, Psalm 13, verse 5. But I have trusted in your steadfast love, My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I ask that you would use this time to build us up in the singing of your Psalter, that you would form us into a people of love, the love of your Son, Christ Jesus, in whose mighty name we pray. Amen. We live in a world of music. In the beginning, there was the God of love. 
the one God and three persons, existed in perfect harmony in eternity past. And in creation, he made a world that swayed with the sounds of rushing waters, wind in the leaves of trees, singing birds, clicking insects, the musical moans of cattle and of sheep. Man was made as a musical creature in God's image, with their intoned voices speaking in different pitches to one another, to the animals, and to Yahweh himself. The one God who is the source of all things is a God of love, which we just heard about. Our great God is one God and three persons. And as we heard from John 17 just a moment ago in Christ's priestly prayer, the Trinity exists as love, as mutual indwelling, mutual gift, and mutual reception. Before humanity matured to the point of developing musical instruments, such as the flute and the lyre that we see in Genesis 4 with Jubal's descendants, before that, we are already surrounded by notes, by voices, by rhythms, and by the dance, the musical dance of creation. Now, God's character can be seen, or rather, it's better to say that God's character of love uh, is best heard in the world of music. So some of you have heard this before, but our brother, theologian and musician Jeremy Begbie, has shown to us how something like a triad reveals something of the Trinity to us. The humility of God is on display in a chord as each note opens up to receive and be dwelt in by the other. So with a triad, Begbie shows us, you have three distinct notes, you could say persons. And these three distinct notes come together, but it just demonstrates something to us about the Holy Trinity. As those three notes that I just played on the piano, each of those notes opened up and received one another to make one thing, okay? Three distinct things, one thing. Now, one of my premises in this talk is that God's character of love, which includes all of the descriptions of love found in 1 Corinthians 13 and other passages, these attributes can be found in all of his works, like Dr. Lightheart just mentioned. Because God is love, the characteristics of love can be found in all that he does. These aspects of love are clearly seen in the passion of Christ Jesus, as his patience, his kindness, and more are lived out through a psalm-filled life of self-gift, of self-giving. But for the purposes of this specific lecture, this means that the Psalter, the love songs that God has given us to sing and to hear and to speak and to have spoken to, all of the Psalms manifest the loving character of Yahweh. The Psalms train us in love as they were written about and by love himself. Say that again. The Psalms train us in love as they were written about and by love himself. Now, it will be easier to see more clearly some colors of love over others, but God's love is clearly manifested in every single Psalm. God is love. All of his works demonstrate some color of love, patience, kindness, humility, not irritable or resentful. God does not rejoice at wrongdoing. 
God rejoices with the truth. God bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. But, of course, this does not exclude the wrath, the fire, and the fury of God. Even the breaking of the teeth of the wicked that we see in Psalm 12, even that demonstrates love because the love of Yahweh, God, incorporates the fury and the hatred and godly combativeness towards all that is not love. That is our God, and we are called to be imitators of Him, imitators of God, imitators of love. To love like Yahweh will involve learning godly hatred, because God cannot be a God of love if He tolerates sin. God hates that which destroys love. He hates that which destroys patience and goodness and self-control and kindness. To love like Jesus will mean to saturate our life in the songbook of love that he's given us so that when we open up our mouths, the heart of the God of Israel is clearly manifested to the world. God hates impatience because God is patience. God hates envy because love is not envious. God hates boasting because love is humble. He hates a lack of self-control because God is self-controlled. He hates lies because love rejoices with the truth. And every characteristic of love can be easily seen in the song Psalter. So on the Psalms, the Psalter is not just a book of songs for us to sing that change us, though that is most certainly the case. The Psalter is not just a book of songs for us to sing that change God's mind about us, though that is one of the major reasons to sing them. The Psalter is not merely a book of prayers to be studied or preached on, The Psalter, in addition to all of these things, can also be seen as a 150-song hymnal meditating on the loving character of Yahweh and the love that He calls us to mature in. And if we want to be a people of love, if we want to be imitators of our Father, if we want to be imitators of God, if we want to be imitators of love, we need to be singers of the songs of love. In this world of music that we inhabit, The musical God has invited us to sing his songs of love. He has invited us to sing our way into a loving life, which is his very life. So, singing love songs, what's really going on here? What's going on with the singing of love songs in general? Now, I started to formulate some of these thoughts um, in last year's lecture, and I'm still working through this, as you'll be able to see in just a moment. Uh, But when you listen to music, which is an important skill that I think we all need to grow in, uh, when we listen to music, There's something of the character of the musician, specifically in word-filled music, the character and thought patterns of that person goes into your physical ears. Okay, and if we just let any and all music just simply wash over us, it can change our life. Music can and has made giant impacts on the world and on the cultures that we inhabit. Music can start and continue revolutions. Songs can change entire cultures. And on a smaller scale, Hearing a certain song can change the way that you see your day, the way that you see your spouse, your children, your entire life. The character of musicians and songwriters doesn't just stop at the ears because the ear is connected to the heart. Faith comes by hearing, both the right kind of faith and the wrong kind of faith, the twisted kind. In the cosmic battle between darkness and 
and light in the universe, the fight with music is not simply one-sided with the church on the offensive. Just as David cast out evil spirits from Saul with the plucking of the string, do not think that evil spirits cannot be involved also in the plucking of the string on the other side. Some of the biggest false teachers of our day are not merely those behind pulpits and podiums, but some of our largest false teachers are those musicians and songwriters who capture the hearts and imaginations of millions and millions of young people. Take someone, easy target, take someone like Taylor Swift, one of the more massive pop stars of this generation, okay? Her character, for good or for evil, is influencing many millions of mostly young women to think about life in a certain way. Her albums have done incredible numbers for many years now, and she's currently on a massive arena tour that is doing absolutely astonishing numbers. Okay, so as of the end of last month, the end of June, the tour that she is on had grossed $300 million, selling nearly 54,000 tickets per show. The tour had sold, at the end of June, more than a million tickets after 22 locations, and is on track to make a billion dollars in sales by the end of the first leg. Videos from this tour show tens of thousands of women and young women, some men, but mostly young women, screaming and shouting, crying, every word to her songs, many of which are performed in something dangerously close to lingerie. And in one moment of the show, she sings a gay-affirming pop song that she wrote several years ago, and the wristbands of every attendee of the concert suddenly light up in sync to make a rainbow over the entire arena so everyone is wrapped up in this liturgy, whether they wanted to be wrapped up into it or not. Okay? So Taylor Swift's life, her character, her outlook is influencing millions to think and process life in the way that she does. Now this gets to a new kind of problem in our modern age. We're surrounded by music. We're in a musical battle, which is why the enemy is pumping our world more and more with music that does not cultivate Christian character. Okay, so a few numbers from music researcher uh, Ted Joya. In 2019, Spotify reported that there were 40,000 songs added to their platform every single day, 40,000. By 2021, that number had increased to 60,000 songs per day. In September of last year, it was reported that there were now 100,000 songs released a day on Spotify. And the streaming service SoundCloud added 45 million songs over the last 12 months, totaling up to about 123,000 songs per day. Now, if we turn, as Christians, if we turn our minds and our hearts on, then we can listen to much of the music uh, in the world because we as Christians rule the world. And as a side note, I think one useful practice, one fun practice to think of is, is which, uh, when you listen to any piece of music, think about which Bible character or which Bible song, uh, Bible story, Bible book, okay, is uh, being manifested, okay? So maybe with a, with a female pop star, maybe they're singing about something entirely good and right, and so that's more proverbial, okay? But maybe with others, it's clearly demonstrating the loose and dangerous woman of Proverbs, okay? So it's helpful to, to listen to music and decide, just creatively think about which Bible story or character this makes you think of. But I would say that most music being put out today needs to be dismissed as a form of discipleship because music is meant for discipleship 
and bringing people into a story. Music is discipleship and training. So think about that in the way that you listen to music, in the way that you train others to listen to music. So that's just listening. Now, when we sing, we're adding another layer on that than, we, than when we merely listen, okay? Because we're taking the character of the author and putting that into our very mouths and incorporating it into ourselves and making it our own. This does not mean that there's some secular world of music that needs to be out of our ears and mouths automatically, necessarily. There's plenty of music out there imprinted with the goodness and beauty and truth of God manifested in the world that demonstrates something true about God's reality. Here's a, a beautiful quote, I think, from Herman Bavinck that touches on this point. Art is a gift of God. Just as the Lord himself is not truth and holiness alone, but also glory, and one who spreads the beauty of his name abroad over all his works, so it is he too who by his spirit equips artists with wisdom and understanding and knowledge in all manner of workmanship, Exodus 31 and Exodus 35. Art is therefore in the first place an evidence of man's ability to do and to make. This ability is spiritual in character, and it gives impression to his deep longings, his high ideals, and his insatiable craving for harmony. Besides, art in all its works and ways conjures up an ideal world before us in which the discords of our existence on earth are purged in gratifying harmony. Thus, a beauty is disclosed which in this fallen world has been obscured by the wise, but is discovered to the simple eye of the artist. And because art thus paints for us a picture of an other and higher reality, it is a comfort to us in our life. It lifts the soul up out of consternation and fills our hearts with hope and with joy." End quote. Okay. The reason music develops character for good or for bad in us is because that's the way that God has made the world. He's invited us into this musical creation to take and to eat, to be nourished and to be transformed. And he has given us 150 songs to sing that are not merely soothing to our souls, not only teach us something, not only teach us righteousness, but in singing, we are singing the character of God back to him and into ourselves. And because we are filled with his spirit, because we are one with him, in singing the Psalms, he sings through us back to himself in this loving perichoretic fugue. We are one with our head. And Jesus, our Lord, prayed that we would be one with God as he is. We are the body of Christ on earth right now. It's really astonishing. And when we sing his words back to him, we are enacting our union in a musical way that is fundamentally different than when we sing anything else. God invites us into his very life of love by having us sing his songs that he has written so that our breath and our spirit, with those things, we offer ourselves up to him as a living sacrifice of worship. He formed us by his word, and in the singing of psalms, he continues to sing us into a fit bride. He sings us into being. He forms us by his word as his word enters our very lungs and our vocal cords and our praise to him. He is making us a loving people in the singing 
of the Psalter. In singing the Psalms, God sings us into a bride. He sings us into love. He sings us into maturity. He not only creates us by his word when we were conceived in our mother's wombs. He doesn't merely create us by his word when we are baptized and brought into the church. He also sings us into being every time we sing the Psalms because he is imprinting his character on us and in us. He is breathing by his spirit, his words into our very bodies as we give those words back to him in this reciprocal dance, this divine perichoretic moment. And this is why I think there is something different going on when we sing the Psalms than when we sing hymns. When we sing hymns, we are hopefully singing biblically faithful, biblically accurate theology and words that honor the Lord, songs to God with one another as forms of praise. And I think we are called to that. We are called to sing new songs to the Lord. But, of course, psalm singing right now is sorely neglected as the main diet of the church. And in psalm singing, there's something divine going on because these are the songs of the divine one. And when liturgical warfare happens on God's terms, as we've heard many times before, when liturgical warfare happens on his terms, that's when the jail cells crumble. That's when city walls crumble. That's when righteousness comes to dwell. Love reigns when the psalms are sung. And the singing of the psalms, I think, should not merely be happening within the walls of the church building. Now, singing psalms before Yahweh at his table on the Lord's day is absolutely essential. But we should let that river that's happening there in the congregation, the river that's happening there in the temple, we should let that river flow out to the four corners of our cities. Now, chanting is something that the world knows how to do. Okay? At Pride Parades last month, we have parades of men and women uh, in all kinds of indecent dress, walking through city streets, holding signs and flags, chanting, we're here, we're queer, we're coming for your children. We're here, we're queer, we're coming for your children. And that slogan has been a slogan of the gay and lesbian movement now for close to 50 years. They know how to chant. So what if we, as Christians, were able to line the streets of these parades, lovingly entering into direct musical combat with them with the Psalter? Okay? So I want you to imagine this. We're at one of these parades, and uh, no one there. This can be an ecumen... Okay, I, heard, I talked to a brother earlier who's trying to organize potentially a ecumenical psalm sing as they walk around different parts of his city. Okay? And the great thing about chanting, one of the many benefits of chanting, is not everyone has to know exactly what's going on before you show up. Okay? You can just have a leader. You can have one person who knows uh, what's going on, and everyone else can follow. Okay? So I want you to repeat after me, and we're at one of these parades. And I want you to give me some energy with this. Okay? I want you to really get in this space. Okay? People are uh, walking down city streets, doing untold damage both to their own souls, let's not lose that, but they're also doing untold damage to the children and the communities that they're seeking to, to represent and change, okay? And then we're there. We're the church. And a cantor just has everyone sing after him. Help Yahweh, for the godly person is no more. Help Yahweh, for the godly person is no more. For the faithful disappear from among the sons of Adam. 
for the faithful disappear from among the sons of Adam. Emptiness they speak to one another. Emptiness they speak to one another. Flattering lips with double heart they speak. Flattering lips with double heart they speak. May Yahweh cut off all flattering lips. May Yahweh cut off all flattering lips. The tongue that speaks great things. The tongue that speaks great things. That say with our tongue we will prevail. That say with our tongue we will prevail. We own our lips, who is our master. We own our lips, who is our master. I will arise, says Yahweh. I will arise, says Yahweh. I will protect him from the one who maligns him. I will protect him from the one who on every side the wicked strut about, on every side the wicked strut about. When vileness is exalted among the sons of Adam, when vileness is exalted among the sons of Adam. All right, so imagine that and let the Psalter flow out of Sunday worship into the streets to combat the paganism and the Satan worship of our day. Okay, so David, we know, drove out evil spirits with music. Do we think that this tactic is outdated? Let's look at love in the Psalter, and then we'll spend some time singing. Let's take a brief look at how the character of God, the characteristics of love found in 1 Corinthians 13, how this is seen in the Psalter. And I actually think we could be here all day. I actually think you can find clearly different characteristics of love in every single Psalm, but uh, time fails us to look uh, at each one of them this afternoon. Love is patient. God is patient. Let's start at the very beginning. Psalm 1. The blessed man's delight is in the law of Yahweh, and on his law he meditates day and night. The blessed man is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit and its season, and its leaf does not wither. Trees take time to grow and flourish. Healthy trees in God's kingdom do not grow up overnight. This is a patient work of God on his beloved disciples. Healthy trees in the kingdom take time to grow by the streams of God's law as it is meditated on day and night. Yahweh, at the very beginning of the Psalter, calls us to meditate day and night on the law. That takes love. It takes patience. God is patient in growing trees in his kingdom, and his trees are to be patient in their process of maturation and meditation on God's law. Okay? And of course, we just learned an hour or two ago from Dr. Lightheart, the consuming fire of God's love burns up the wicked, and the chaff are blown away by the Spirit. Or, let's talk about patience some more. Let's talk, take Psalm 37. Commit your way to Yahweh. Trust in him, and he will act. He will bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Fret not yourself over the one who prospers in his way, over the man who carries out evil devices. Or take Psalm 40. I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined to me and he heard my cry. He drew me up out of the pit of destruction, out of the miry bog, and set my feet upon a rock, making my steps secure. 
He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and will put their trust in the Lord. Love is patient. Love can wait. Waiting is sung about over and over and over again in the book of Psalms. Psalm 25, indeed, none who wait for you shall be put to shame. What kind of patience does that develop in us and in our children and in our churches as we're singing verses like that all the time? Something comes up in our life where we're required to wait on Yahweh. But this culture of singing about waiting, singing our way into patience, has begun to take root. Psalm 27, wait for the Lord. Be strong. Let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. Psalm 33, our soul waits for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. Our soul waits for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. And let us not forget, the loving God hates impatience. The Psalms teach us patience, not only in the time it takes to learn them, but in revealing the character of our great God. God is love. He is patient. Christ is patient. These are Christ's songs. These were his songs as he lived a loving and patient life. Love is patience. Love is kind. God is kind. Psalm 145, your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and your dominion endures throughout all generations. The Lord is faithful in all of his works. He is kind in all of his works. The Lord upholds all of those who are falling and raises up all who are bowed down. The eyes of all look to you and you give them their food in due season. You open your hand. You satisfy the the desire of every living thing. The Lord is righteous in all of his ways, and the Lord is kind in all of his works. God is kind. Love does not envy or boast. God is not envious, and God hates the proud and the boastful. Psalm 5. The boastful shall not stand before your eyes. You hate all evildoers. Love does not boast. And you and your kids and your church community have been singing for years now that the boastful shall not stand before Yahweh. How does that make us loving when we're tempted to arrogance, when we're tempted to boast in our own works, we're tempted to boast in the the great things that we've done or how great we are? But Psalm 5 is right there. It's close to your heart because you've been singing it. Psalm 10 The wicked boasts of the desires of his soul, and the one greedy for gain curses and renounces the Lord. Psalm 12, which we just roared out a minute ago together. May the Lord cut off all flattering lips, the one that makes great boasts. Psalm 97. All worshipers of images are put to shame, who make their boast in worthless idols. Worship him, all you false gods. God is the only one worth boasting in. Psalm 44, in God we have boasted continually, and we will give thanks to your name forever. So how does one boast righteously? Boast only in Yahweh. Boast only in Him. Love is not arrogant or rude. Psalm 17, they close their hearts to pity, and with their mouths they speak full of arrogance. God does not endure the arrogant. Psalm 101, whoever slanders his neighbor secretly, I will destroy. Whoever has a haughty look 
and an arrogant heart I will not endure. The Psalms even train us in love and in not being arrogant by knowing what to do when we are tempted with this very sin. This is seen clearly for us in Psalm 73. Truly God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet had almost stumbled. My steps had nearly slipped, for I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. Okay? We're to sing psalms together that talk about the temptation towards arrogance and being envious of those who are arrogant and who are getting all of this seeming prosperity. Sing about that together. But then further along in the psalm, Psalm 73, when I thought how to understand this, it seemed to me a wearisome task until I went to the sanctuary of God. Then I discerned their end. Truly you set them in slippery places. You make them fall to ruin. How they are destroyed in a moment, swept away utterly by terrors. Like a dream when one awakes, O Lord, when you rouse yourself, you despise them as phantoms. When my soul was embittered, when I was pricked in heart, I was brutish and ignorant. I was like a beast toward you. Nevertheless, I am continually with you. You hold my right hand. You guide me with your counsel, and afterward you will receive me to glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire beside you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. That's how you respond to being envious of the arrogant, envious of the wicked. Love does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Psalm 86, teach me your way, O Lord, that I may walk in your truth. Unite my heart to fear your name. I give thanks to you, O Lord, my God, with my whole heart, and I will glorify your name forever. Love rejoices with the truth. Psalm 25, make me to know your paths, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth and teach me, for you are the God of my salvation. For you I wait all day long. There's that patience again. Psalm 43, vindicate me, O God, and defend my cause against an ungodly people. For from the deceitful and the unjust man, deliver me. For you are the God in whom I take refuge. Why have you rejected me? Why do I go about mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? Send out your light and your truth and let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy hill and to your dwelling. Then I will go to the altar of God, to God my exceeding joy, and I will praise you with the lyre, O God, my God. God bears all things. God believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. The endurance and forbearance of love can be seen repeatedly in the book of Psalms, and especially in Psalms uh, like Psalm 88, where the darkness seems to be the only friend that we have. But in that darkness, the Lord God of our salvation is the one that we cry out to. You can also see this in the structure of the entire Psalter. The Psalms are filled with lament over personal sin, lament over the wickedness of men, the injustices of the world. Psalm 2 shouts to God about the conspiring nations and peoples who murmur in their vanity. Yet, by the end of the Psalter, the entire cosmos is filled with the praise of Yahweh, because love never ends. It bears all of the valleys and the darknesses found in the Psalter and comes to its climax in a world that is absolutely filled with praise, 
with peace and with joy from sea to sea. This is the shape, the loving shape of the music of God, the music that he's given us to be trained in. So to end, Yahweh God calls us to things that take time to learn. The Psalms are our songbook of love, and it's going to take time. It's going to take time for us to learn them. This includes learning to chant them, of course, and learning to sing them. The bride uses the words of the bridegroom to call upon him. This is something like the Song of Solomon, as there is an invitation for mutual love and mutual indwelling. God invites us to dwell in him and he in us. If we want to learn to love, we need to sing our way into it, to have our hearts united to the heart of God in the singing of his love songs, to have Christ formed in us. One of our main priorities as the church should be getting our musical vocabulary of love in line with his vocabulary of love. And as we begin to live in God's songbook, the Psalter, and are encultured by it, encultured by its loves, its hatreds, its peace, the long-suffering, every aspect and every color of love. We are created in the image of the man of love, Christ Jesus, of whom and by whom these songs are written. So in a world that is sick and showing these pathetic displays of petty and fickle affections musically all around us, the Christian church will learn to love by singing the words of love of God himself, of our Lord Jesus Christ, with whom we are in union and with whom we are in love. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. All right, let's sing. Uh, I would like for you to grab your hymnal and turn to Psalm 46. Let's raise, let's raise a hand if you've sung this before so I can clearly see you. Very good, very good, solid. Good. So again, as I mentioned this morning, for those of us that have not chanted, I think most of us have looking around the room, you're just changing notes at, at the bar lines, okay? So let's, let's hear this melody just one time, just the chords there, Paul. Very good. So you can see here the melody of ba da 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 da. Very simple, just a few notes. So just follow along with your eyes, even if you've sung this before, it'll be helpful. Uh, and follow along with uh, how I just simply change notes at the bar line. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore we will not fear, though the earth gives way. Though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea. A couple of things you can note there is that when there's a comma, there's a brief pause, okay? So you'll look down to verse 5 there. So that'll sound like, God is in the midst of her, she shall not be moved. And again later, let's look at verse 9. He makes wars to cease in all the world. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear, pause, and burns the chariots with fire. Continuing on, be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. 
the Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our stronghold. Okay, let's stand. I'll lead us through this. Uh, something I like to say with this psalm, we're going to sing this, I believe, this evening in Vespers, if not tonight, then tomorrow night. Um, so this will be a very good practice run for us. I want us to sing this um, with gusto from the beginning, but if you're imagining how much energy you can give a piece of music, I want you to give it about 70 or 80 percent, okay? Because on the, on the chorus of the Lord of hosts is with us, okay? The Lord of hosts is with us there on verse 3, the, again on verse 7, and then there in verse 11. I want us to give that 100, okay? So I want, to, I want us to have somewhere to go with that energy. So uh, we're going to sing it about 70, 80 percent. The Lord of hosts is with us. We're going to swell, and then we'll come back down to 80 percent, but not too much, okay? We're not whispering this thing. Um, and lastly, when we chant the Psalms, we are not going uh, low and slow, as our brother Jim Jordan has taught us. We are giving it uh, full energy, which means that you can even have fun with this one. And when he breaks the bow and shatters the spear, give that a little bit of a, of a, of a mouth punch, okay? He breaks the bow and shatters the spear, okay? Make those things shatter. Right, right Paul? All right, let's go. Uh, <laughs> uh, we'll start all in together from the beginning after he plays the notes for us. Yep. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though way, though the mountains be moved to the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and roll, though the mountains tremble at its swelling, though the Lord of hosts is with us, the God of Jacob is our stronghold, there is a river whose streams make glad the sea. Oh, 
turn to Psalm 12 in your liturgy book. Psalm 12. A couple of things to note here. As we mentioned this morning, there are some bolded words. Again, these, this just means that those words are going to get more than one note. Okay, so this psalm sounds like this. Uh, Help Yahweh, for the godly person is no more. For the faithful disappear from among the sons of Adam. Which means that in verse 3, May Yahweh cut off all flattering lips, the tongue that speaks great things. Okay, again in verse 6. Yahweh sings our pure sayings, silver purified in an earthen furnace, short break, refined sevenfold. Okay, let's sing this one together. Let's hear the melody one time and then we'll all sing through this entire thing together. and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. Okay, that kind of thing. for his 
again for enjoying this episode of the Theopolis podcast. For more information and for more content from Theopolis, you can check us out online at theopolisinstitute.com. We release new articles every Tuesday and Thursday on our blog, so you'll want to make sure to look out for those. You can also find us on Twitter at underscore Theopolis and on Facebook if you just search for our name. If you've been helped, sharpened, and encouraged by this podcast, we'd really love it if you would go to iTunes and leave us a review. It just takes a few seconds, and it really will help us along getting our content in front of new listeners. That's all for now, friends. We really look forward to being with you all again in the next episode. And as always, thank you so much for listening.